Good morning, and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. Today, we're going to be talking with Ian Shulnick at Bradio. Bradio is one of the most interesting companies that I've run across in the last couple of years, and I'm excited to have Ian here to tell us about it a little bit. How are you, Ian? I'm well, John. How are you? Thanks for the time uh, to talk about Bradio. I appreciate oh, this, it. This is great. Yeah, so so take a moment and, and introduce yourself. Tell us who you are. Tell us what your background is and, and how you got sure. to be doing Bradio. Sure. Um, my name is Ian Sholnick. I'm the CEO of Bradio, and I'm the founder, uh, along with a few other folks. We decided to build Bradio to create a better type of learning platform and training platform that actually worked within an organization in a far more effective way than we're currently seeing, which just tends to be an isolated experience. We wanted to train in, uh, uh, you and uh, teach you about uh, different things inside your organization in a more social manner and a more in the workflow type of manner. So what's your, what's your history? How'd you get here? I, if you can hear my odd, what they call mid-Atlantic accent, uh, is I grew up in uh, Africa and I grew up in uh, Vancouver, Canada. And then I, uh, I came down here in the early, uh, well, I should say the late 90s and uh, just before the dot-com boom, if you will. And I've been here ever since. And I build a big cloud infrastructure and uh, uh, types of uh, business systems that work within the B2B or the business and enterprise space. So, Bradio, tell, tell us what it does. Sure. We, we call it uh, the social, Bradio is the social learning platform for your tomorrow organization. And what we try to do is look at how learning works and training works. And what we've seen is you've got 20% formal learning, top-down learning from your organization. You need to take this sales training. You need to do this financial compliance training, this HR training. Uh, very top-down, gets to you as an employee, John and Ian, and we take and run with it. We effectively jump the chasm and go off uh, into what we call informal learning, and that's 80% of learning. And combined, we get a learning experience for an employee. So that informal learning piece is where Bradio focuses, and our focus is on users and employees. They, they, they scale the water cooler. They go out together. They collaborate together on solving a customer's problem. They, they talk to each other. Hey, have you figured this out before? And they share knowledge, but that knowledge tends to get trapped between an, an, uh, just your, your, your employee, your coworker group, and it doesn't circulate in the company uh, to other employees, and then also doesn't circulate back to the, to the core knowledge base of the company. So effectively, you lack a circulation system inside an organization between employees and between the employees and the company. And that's so critical because folks who are solving problems and creating solutions and driving revenues are customers, are, are employees who are dealing with the customers and each other. Uh, and so what we're trying to do is provide that, uh, formalize the informal, as we say, provide that circulation and collaboration platform, that social learning platform inside a company. So, so you really very specifically focus on a specific subset of the telco company business, um, and you're not building a solution that generalizes rapidly beyond that. Can you, can you tell me a little bit more about the problem that you solve for telco companies? Yeah, we, I, I suppose I would push back a little only in the sense that we focused our, our market entry into working with the, the, the mobile carrier landscape, the telecom landscape. And the reason why is that if you look at formal and informal learning, informal learning where we focus is so built from mobile. That the, the, you could actually call um, uh, informal learning a form of mobility. Uh, uh, um, 
where formal learning uh, is a crowded space. There's many, many different uh, learning platforms. They all have great solutions, very featured similarly. Uh, they're costly expensive as a, as a rule. Uh, and they're folks at enterprise and they work on, uh, on the, they, they ride on top of the rails that the telecoms provide. But the telecoms don't get a piece of the action, if you will. They don't get a piece of the business. We've focused on telecom for two reasons. One, they're a huge audience all on themselves for training. They have multiple generations of products, millions and millions of employees. Just do that layer, that first level of the tier, that's great. But telecoms also have enormous uh, uh, numbers of resellers. And both carriers and, and, and their reseller communities have tens of thousands of enterprise businesses that they sell into every day. So the second thing about Bradio is not only can we train the telecom community, we can also let them use our platform to resell into their customer base. And we have no other competitors there right now because no one thought to partner with the telecoms. And that's why Bradio is seeing the growth it is. The story I like is the story of how a, a telecom call center learns a new product. And yeah. it seems to me that you're kind of understating that. that the, the, the thing here that, that radio does, as I understand it, is as the company learns its new terrain, Informal learning is the way that people find out about better ways to do problem solving. And what you want to do is accelerate the distribution of that information. And Bradio is designed relatively specifically to solve that kind of problem um, in informal learning in large organizations focused around yeah. the delivery of customer support. Is that right? You are 100% you right. In fact, my product marketing teams right now would be giving you a big hug because I'm being CEO and too strategic. At the end of the day, we're about learning and training. John, you're absolutely right. And it's in that kind of use case. You have a very large call center dealing with multiple generations of a product. And they need to, to immediately access information, but not only from the company, but from, the other peer, from their peers, their coworkers who've solved the problem before. And they'll be able to get in immediately, access what's been resolved before, and use that solution themselves, and add to that solution, and share that that new uh, evolved solution out to the customer and to uh, and to their their peers. The cost of a of an individual uh, interaction between a customer service person and the customers can can be about twelve dollars an hour. If you can let the if you can let the um, the employee source the information that's been previously provided to another customer it's much, much lower cost. And that constant evolution of, of the solution, because you're always solving a new problem for a customer, that all gets added to this tree. And, and, and ultimately, over time, you have a really powerful knowledge base that's been contributed, a peer contributed from your different coworkers. And that repeats itself on all different product sets, all different customers and partners uh, across the globe. Uh, I mean, if you think about a, a reseller or a carrier, how many product sets they sell in, and have to support from AT&T and Android to, uh, to Cisco products, Polycom products, and all different generations of such. It's a, it's a full-time job to have uh, absolute customer service uh, and technical support. And this is where Bradio excels, braiding all those information sets together and then braiding the people who've sold them before together and giving access to it on the fly. Let me just underline that a little bit more because that that that... That's that still sounded fuzzier than I think the where the amazing story is here. So, when when a um, um, uh, a carrier gets a new 
iPhone, like a uh, uh, the iPhone 8, on the day that that product launches, you've got this massive call center, but nobody's ever fixed the phone before. And so everything that you do is the first time that you've done it. And it's massive. It's true for everybody in the organization. Everything you do, it's the first time you do it. And and that means it's always done in the most inefficient way possible. Because when you get the new phone, you don't know what's wrong with it. The only way that you learn about what's wrong with it is by having the customer tell you. So when the customer tells you, the first time that you go to solve the problem, it's a long and cumbersome process because troubleshooting an unknown problem is a kind of a binary chore that you go very slowly right. through a lot of possibilities to get to the answer. Once the answer is discovered, instead of that interaction taking 10 hours, it can now take 15 minutes. And what you want to get around the organization is the difference between the 10-hour solution and the 15-minute solution. And I think that's what Bradio excels at, circulating yep, that yep. kind of information that accelerates the speed and uh, speed of speed and quality of customer service and drops the cost of customer service and allows the troubleshooting uh, parts of the organization to move on to the next problem. Um, right. and I find that. Fascinating. That that describes a kind of organization that learns very rapidly that we really haven't seen before. And and it seems to me that what Bradio does is help this new kind of quick learning, agile organization move more quickly and become more effective. You are you're hundred percent right. You we have seen it before. Uh we've seen it on the consumer side with all the viral spread of information you see in Facebook and LinkedIn. But no one's ever captured that informal learning model on the business side. And you nailed it, John. There is a, if you have a customer service team, they're inbound with thousands upon thousands of, of brand new problems and, 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 and brand new resolutions. It's not linear. It's happening. It's a, it's a crowdsourced viral experience. You want to reduce that, the, uh, the solution curve as fast as possible and spread it throughout your organization as quickly as possible. And that's what Bradio lends itself to. And again, repeat that with multiple product sets because usually we don't see one product being released at one time. We see headphones come with a phone. We see different types of devices associated with the release. And that's just this generation. Uh, and what you want to do is, is speed up that viral activity by getting it formalized and sharing the information and getting it into the knowledge base, into the knowledge store as fast as possible, identifying who the subject matter experts are that are solving the, 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 the solution the fastest, get them uh, accessible to the rest of the crowd, uh, the, the employee team, I should say. How do you use AI to do that? Well, I think we touched on it in, in, in the general sense is that you're talking about enormous stores of data and large bodies of population of, of, of employees. And then you've got the actual customer base. Uh, this is where, you know, explicit intelligence, the AI, it really comes into play. Uh, we have multiple data sets around a product. We have multiple products. We have multiple employees in different regions, departments, and areas, in different languages. And then you have um, uh, different employee sets and company set, uh, customer sets based on region, country, because when you're dealing with the, the telco space, you are dealing usually uh, uh, not just nationally, but globally through partnerships that carry exchange programs to the rest where they can interconnect together. 
So at that point, uh, you have an inbound problem, providing that information to the right employee, assigning the right subject matter experts they can, could reach out to, the right data set, all of that becomes a massive air traffic control system problem, problem, if you will. And that's where AI really becomes handy. Reducing it down, you want to reduce it down to the solution that's just in time delivered in your workflow without providing that extraneous amount of data that you'd have to sift through becomes a very big haystack uh, without uh, AI. And AI is a magnet. That's how you find the, the pin that you need very, very quickly. And in the, in the AI development that you do, what's the role of open source tools and vendor-provided toolkits? We partner with specifically uh, with our, in our partnership with our big partner, Ribbon Communication. Uh, there's a fair amount of work with Watson and, uh, and uh, IBM Watson. And they have multiple uh, uh, API sets that we can leverage, tool sets we can leverage based on our problem. And we use a combination of a couple to provide the most accurate delivery of information. Open source is interesting, you know, John. It's not just, it's, what we found is very, very helpful is not just the tool sets that you can open source and use, such as data sets and data platforms. Uh, there is a lot of more openness among the programs themselves to share ideas, things like GitHub, if you might be familiar with. Where, where there's, there's an open, uh, open exchange of ideas, uh, not, not the code, that's IP, but just how things are solved, how problems are dealt with, how, how large uh, algorithms are, are, are divided up and solutioneered out among a group of engineers. And that also occurs in the open source community. You can learn a lot from partnering with open source tool sets and also with the open source communities. And that can impact how you deliver products. Again, in a sense, it's, it's, it's a similar concept of informal learning. You get a lot of crowdsourced learning from that group, from the open source community that you can, you can, you can leverage into your organization as needed. It seems to me that, that this is becoming, rapidly becoming a very different way of doing development. I'd guess that you've, you've built other companies. I'd, I'd guess that the cost of development here um, is significantly less in certain ways than it yeah. was the last time you built a company. You're, you're, you're yeah, beyond, I would say you're 200% right on that one, John. And I think, you know, it's interesting if you look at it, it's affected how much capital you take, you need to raise, how fast you can develop. The speed of development is also a cost. You reduce that cost of development in, from a speed standpoint. Uh, new types of models, like, such as Agile, a, capital A-G-I-L-E, all caps, uh, which is a type of development where you can very quickly develop and fail, develop and fail. Failure is your friend in this kind of speed. You want to find out what does not work. Uh, think of Edison and the thousand and the thousand attempts to get a light bulb to work. You want to do that in a day, uh, and that speed of development is very helpful. And if you have other people doing the same type of modeling, it's it, you can it, in a sense it's similar to what Bradio was done. We've taken that kind of model and put it into uh, in, into an informal learning platform. This is another great use case of how informal learning has really taken over. In fact, I think we're seeing the rise of the informal learning model, uh, John, which I know you put your finger on uh, many moons ago. And it was really coming out uh, and, and tagging these different cloud communities together in, in, a, in a sense, you know, scaling the water cooler or the town, the, town, uh, the town square among all these different groups and tying them together to share the knowledge base. Basically. Amazing. Amazing. You're in the Bay Area. Um, development talent for the kind of work that you're doing is crazy expensive and really hard to get a hold of. How do you compete? Yeah, I, 
you are right. You don't compete head on in a linear fashion. There are large bodies of developers, some of them from this very same open source community who have passion projects and talents and interests. They're like they're human beings. You can source out good developers based on what, what their interests are. And you do it through the, these communities we just touched on, open source communities. The second thing is go where they're not. Many developers don't want to move to the Valley. It's Silicon Valley. It's expensive. Bay Area is expensive, but you can you can source them out in places like uh, Utah, New Jersey, Spain, and we've done that very thing. What we've taken advantage of some of the things you just touched on. The tool sets are different now, John. They're they're open. Uh, they're in the cloud. The t- type of development because it's so much faster that we use a story a story approach. We create stories every week that everyone mocks out. Middle 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 management layers, project managers very flat organization built for the cloud. And that has allowed us to compete and uh, very, very effectively. If you ter- uh, you know, pull back the curtain in most of the large organizations, uh, and I don't mean the, the cool hip Silicon Valley, I mean just everyday business organizations, enterprise companies all over the US, they're all using this, a similar form of this model. So the, what they call insourcing, bringing in project uh, uh, developers and coders, dealing with some outsource and providing their product sets this way. We are just one of thousands. We provide this model very effectively. What What do you suppose the the central ethical issues are in your business? It's it's what you do sort of by its nature um, upsets the apple cart. It it changes the yeah. way the hierarchy thinks things are supposed to be done, and it it advantages certain kinds of people and disadvantages other kinds of people. What do you think the ethical yeah, issues are? I will say, John, this is, I found this a really interesting question. You know, uh, uh, I find that the idea of, of this is a very interesting concept about the, the, the ethics of what you're building. I think on a meta level, you know, it's like any other tool set. Uh, take, uh, take parts of the world. Most parts of the world don't have a comp cast. They, you know, they, have, they use mobile to, learn, to deliver information. And some parts of this world, uh, you know, they're fairly authoritarian. But we have a system that very quickly can disseminate um, information very, very quickly. And that's uh, uh, training and learning. And if you had cadres and authoritarian types of governments, you could use this platform very, very effectively to create a, a model of control. But on the other hand, this same identical platform can be used in parts of the world where there is no uh, communications infrastructure of note to deliver tremendous amounts of learning in English as a second language training and all kinds of training, any kind, very effectively, very quickly. So it really comes down to how people want to use our platform. And some of that, like all platforms and tools, are out of our hands. It's closer to home. We are dealing with employees, as you noted, uh, people. And uh, they have problems and solutions they're trying to solve. And they have keywords and questions they ask. There's an enormous amount of metadata we're trapping and we're tracking. And the use of that and the careful use of that the ethical use of that, yeah, even uh, even in providing access to it, is one of the things that uh, we keep an eye on, maybe two good eyes on. And there's a tremendous amount of data in here. This is some of the issues you might have seen. We've seen recently surface on the consumer side with folks like Facebook. You know, we are seeing inbound the tremendous. Think of every day how many problems are being solved by employees and what the keywords are, the metadata is. We want to keep an eye on that and control that carefully, encrypt it, if you will. I wonder, I wonder, and, and I don't know that you'll have an answer to this question, but does the kind of tracking that you do produce 
some sort of personally identifiable fingerprint of a specific employee. Yeah, it's interesting. You'll find both, like anything, same with your with your web activity, uh, what your interests are, fly fishing, for example, cooking, uh, mountain biking, and the like. You'll see the same. What 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 the areas of expertise an employee has, what the problems they're solving on a daily basis, where their areas of expertise are starting to. You can run the same analytics that we, we see in, the, in our consumer lives in other areas on this data. You will start to develop a fingerprint of the employee. And uh, it's, it's happening regardless, but we're providing that. Uh, we can provide that data set as well. Uh, we have a tremendous insight on what products provide employees the most hassles. And what, so it can be very useful in things like product design and what products are you know, providing less less friction for, for the customer and the, and, and the, and the, and the employee and, and why. Those kind of insights are fantastically valuable. Uh, so the data is useful, but it has to be applied in the, in the appropriate ethical manner. The interesting thing to me on this particular point, and, and, and I, I don't expect you to have a, a, a firm answer here, but in, in GDPR, as it comes online, a European employee, which you might have in one of these large distributed um, learning networks, is entitled to be forgotten by the company. And yeah. I, as, as I've looked, I haven't noticed that vendors like you or companies like your customers are very interested in understanding where the nooks and crannies of personally identifiable information are, right? And so yeah. if somebody writes to the marketing department at Company X, your big customer, and says, hi, I'm John Sumter, and I want you to forget me. I don't yeah. think that company I, I, has a way of knowing that you have um, interesting information about their clients or potential employees or current employees um, that, that you might have. And so I, I wonder how you think about mm, communicating with your customers about um, the data that you have that might be legally challenging for them to manage. I think that'll be a big question this year. Yeah, I think that it will surface. It's, you know, in fact, it is surfacing. Um, so there's a number of layers to that, that, that question which you touched on. Uh, the first one being technical. Um, there are ways to de-anonymize very simply where their data is coming from, and we can do that and do it. So we can de-identify the data, and that's a very critical issue. Uh, and we can pull the data uh, into formats that represent trends, identify products that are causing friction among employees without identifying employees. We can do it by region, by language, for example. But no, no identification of employees. Um, that's one, one uh, uh, guardrail. Another one is that standpoint of uh, privacy. There is a difference between being a consumer and the data and being followed around. And we've all seen the, the drama there, even up to and including having the, you know, people losing their, um, their, their credentials in some of these big uh, uh, companies like uh, Experian, where they're, they're doing background checks in you for credit ratings and things like that. But we are a... Um, uh, uh, enterprise selling to enterprise. So you have a, uh, there's a tacit level of privacy that you accept that's different than you as an individual, as a consumer, when you work for a company. You're using a company organization paid by the company using their, their data lines, their, their hardware, their software. 
So you lose some of your privacy requirements, if you will, your, your privacy rights to a degree, and this is common here in the States and in Europe, when you start working for the company. Having said that, you know, when you start taking that information about that employee and start uh, turning it into a consumer, uh, accessible by a consumer company to sell to that employee, that's when you cross the line. And, and you can still keep the denominalization even in the company. So, but, you know, what you're touching on, John, is handling with care. And again, it's an ethical issue, uh, you know, keeping an eye on it. Wonderful. So what are, what are a couple of things you want to be sure a listener takes away from our conversation? Yeah, I appreciate the, the the ask. We we are a social learning platform, and we do see ourselves as uh, for your tomorrow organization. Uh, we really do see ourselves as as one of the first ever to really recognize that mobility means working with it and providing them a solution that they can they can use with their customer base. And we're the we think we're one of the first organizations to recognize informal learning and the type of learning we do, which is. I like some of the terminology you're using, learning networks. So these informal learning networks in your company, through your, throughout your organization, can be captured and can be formalized and, and provide a wonderful learning experiences and training experiences to the rest of your company. That, that next generation informal learning, this kind of learning that's now the, 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 the future, it's, it's arrived. Thank you. It's a, thankfully, because of what happened on the consumer side, we are Bradio with that platform. And uh, you can find us at Bradio.com if you're interested in talking. So take a moment, reintroduce yourself, and um, tell people how they can get in touch with you. Thanks, John. Uh, again, my name is Ian Shona. You can reach us at info at bradio.com, B-R-A-I-D-I-O.com, Braid-I-O. And that's effectively where the name of the company came from. We're braiding together all these informal learning currents inside your company and formalizing it into data sets that can Help your employees and help your customers. We're all about customer success and employee success. Thanks for taking the time to do this, Ian. We've been talking with Ian Sholnick, who is the CEO and one of the founders of Radio, a San Francisco area company that focuses on collaborative learning, um, particularly informal learning in large organizations that, that learn on the fly. Thanks again for doing it, and thanks for tuning in and listening. We will see you next week now. Bye-bye.